What's up, everybody? It's Dr. Z. Welcome to the Z Dog MZ Show. This is a very special episode. I have my friend, Dr. Vinay. Hold on, wait, wait. I got to switch the cameras too because oh. I'm doing everything. Dr. Vinay Prasad. Good to be back. Man, it's great. UCSF, all that. We know your credentials. You've been on the show a bunch of times. I've been on. It's nuts, dude. Because, and by the way, I'm trying to switch cameras and talk to you. I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's a hard job. I may lose my mind. (laughs) Uh, I was just thinking, dude, I want to have you on the show because I read what you wrote in MedPage about Thanksgiving. I read what you wrote in MedPage about the Danish mask study. That's right. You're the one sort of person on the internet that when I'm in doubt about something, like how do I feel about this based on this conflicting data? I usually read what you have to say and I'm like, I think I feel like that because this guy <laughs> knows his stuff. I and mean, what have you what have you been thinking of? Let's even where do you even want to start, bro? I don't know. I guess uh we'll start by full disclaimer. We didn't prepare to do this. I was in your neighborhood and we had uh been talking about getting together at some point and I thought, you know, I was actually in the neighborhood for a run, that's why I'm dressed this way. And I was like, Well, you know what? Let's just do it now. And so here we go, impromptu. When two sexy Indian men <laughs> Just serendipitously run into each other live. You never know. And just so that people know we're live, Nat Hansen, Logan Stewart, Kimberly Moreland, James Hosh, Genevieve Fanov, they're all here ready wow. to comment. And Dr. V and Dr. Z in the house, baby, says Samantha Roberts. So we're uh, on point here. Let's do this. Let's, Let's start. Do it, I want to ask you, a lot of people have messaged me and they're talking about this legendary Danish mask study, sure. which has immediately been politicized, has oh, been yeah. weaponized, has the, the, the authors had trouble publishing it. Already, anyone who talks about it is going to get canceled. <laughs> Wait, tell us about this study and what you think about what's going on here. Boy, uh, such an interesting study. Uh, It's an interesting study. And then there's a life beyond the study, which is like, how can we talk about the study? So I just will tell you the the gist of the study. Um, Back in in Denmark in in the spring of this year, they thought, let's run a large randomized control trial of masks. And they got over 4,000 people and they randomly assigned them to two arms. One arm, you get a box of 50 masks and you're advised to wear it when you go outside. If you're gonna be outside, you wear the mask. Every eight hours, you swap your mask out. In the other arm, you are just given the usual care, uh, which is no advice, no box of masks. And in fact, um, people in the mask arm, 93% of them were compliant with the intervention. Uh, I think 46% were a perfectly compliant and like 40, the, the rest of it was pretty compliant, they said, or something. This like that. is Mostly compliant. self-reported compliance. Self-reported compliance. Yeah. But you know what? I It has... Well, let me tell you the results first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll talk about the criticism. So the, the basic result of the study was that they thought there would be a 2% risk of catching COVID during this period of time in the spring and early summer. Um, based on antibody and PCR testing, they in fact found uh, 2.1% risk of catching COVID in one arm and 1.8% in the other arm, not statistically different. The study failed to find a benefit for the wearer of masks uh, in this time period with this prevalence of COVID. Um, so that's the basic finding. And, and that's what's been sort of uh, <clears throat> seized upon by people who don't think masks work at all. And then people who do think masks work have been tearing the study to shreds based on a lot of different things, right? A lot of different things. I mean, there are things the study shows and things the study doesn't show. So what does it show? The authors powered the study for a 50% reduction in mask uh, in COVID acquisition, hoping to go from two to 1%. This study, I think, shows that masks do not lower your risk of getting COVID 
reduction by 50%. But what about something less than that? 5% reduction, 10% reduction? Um, what about if the mask doesn't protect you, but protects others around you? And the truth is the study is unable to provide additional information on that because that's not what the authors were testing. Right. So somebody who believes the mantra, my mask protects you, it doesn't protect me, that person I think is could reasonably say, this study does not address that hypothesis. And the answer is that's true. I think that's technically true. Somebody who thinks masks help you 5% can reasonably say this study doesn't exclude that possibility. I think that's true as well. Um, but this study is a really good study. I mean, it's a randomized study. The authors had a clear pre-specified um, endpoint, 50% reduction. They show that it does not lower 50%. For the people out there who say masks are a parachute, I think that's in fact not the case. It didn't do that. Yeah, So yeah. there's some nuance to the interpretation. And, and, and this is important because I can, what you design the trial to do, to show, is important going in because that's how you're powering the trial, that's how you're setting up the study design, that's how you're following up. And you know, a lot of people were talking about, well, there's a bunch of people were lost to follow up, but that was kind of planned in the trial, right? I think that some of the criticism that I don't accept, one is that adherence wasn't good enough. Well, you know what? Um, that's part of the intervention. If you recommend people wear masks and, and not all of them do what you say, that's not a problem with adherence. That's called real life. You know, <laughs> people don't always do what you want. And a cake is both the batter and the temperature of the oven. And similarly, a public health recommendation is both the recommendation and whether or not people do it. And so that's part of the cake. You know, that's part of the recipe. And you know, that relates to things like intention to treat analysis. Yeah. Like just because people drop out, well, that's what happens in the real world. So you analyze it that way. Now, one question I had about this particular yeah. Study. And there were lots of complaints about it, but the truth is, I think you're right. It was well designed for what they were looking to do. One thing that it didn't look at as well that I didn't see talked about is, you know, sort of this inoculum theory. So in other words, yes. you could test positive, but not get very sick. And the question is, did the masks actually influence that? Because if you ask, say, Monica Gandhi, she would say, oh yeah, no, of course people are going to test positive. Masks aren't a parachute, but they lower inoculum. What do you think about that? I think it's a good question. I think if you really wanted to ask the question if wearing masks allows the user to get a less severe form of the disease, you're gonna need a lot bigger study or you're gonna have to run your study in a place with a lot more COVID. Mm. So there's two parts to this. So one is, this was run at a time where only 2% of people got COVID. You wanna run this in South Dakota last month? <laughs> it's gonna be a different ball game, right? Because there's right. a lot more population prevalence of COVID. So there, there are different ways to get at that question. That's still an interesting question, I think. I think there are, it's a challenging question to answer with a randomized trial. Now, you had in your MedPage piece, which when I, and by the way, we're streaming live to Facebook. We have 2,100 people watching I'm right shocked. now, tons yeah. of, of comments. I was when, in disbelief when you told me people are gonna tune in. I know, because yeah. Vinay was like, well, shouldn't we tell people we're going live? I'm like, nah, you leave that for the evil algorithm. They'll pull them in. Sure we're gonna will. repost this up on sure. YouTube and on my website, and we'll have links to your MedPage article so people can look at this. Um, I think one of the things you said in your MedPage piece was, well, what if we designed these cluster trials to try to get at some of these questions? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so I think if somebody <clears throat> believes and argues that my mask protects you, it doesn't protect me, how would one test that in the most rigorous way possible? And the answer is you would do a cluster randomized trial, which is you randomize groups of people Couple groups, you say, you all wear masks, you all wear masks, and some groups you say, there's no recommendation to wear masks. And then you ask, in the groups where people were advised to wear masks, was there less transmission among anyone in that group? Mm. And cluster randomized <laughs> trials, we've done it before in medicine. I don't know if people may recall, but um, there's the rapid response team. And actually in Australia, I think about a decade ago, they did a nice cluster randomized trial of rapid response teams or no rapid response teams. Um, and there are a number of cluster randomized trials in medicine. and. 
many years ago, we published a review of them in JAM Internal Medicine um, about cluster randomized trials. So there are enough that you were able to publish a review. Enough that we were able to find enough. By the way, what did that rapid response trial show in Australia? Oh, I think that the rapid response trial shows that the rapid response team is very good at moving somebody who is very vulnerable from the floor to the unit, not so good at actually averting the outcomes we wished it would, like cardiac arrest and death. So it actually, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, so, so again, more data needed maybe, maybe versus or, maybe it doesn't work. Or maybe, yeah, I think it's, it's easy to believe in medicine that um, health quality initiatives are going to work because they make sense. I think the rapid response team is one of those things that um, it may have a role because it actually does help move people to the unit when they need to go to the unit, but maybe it, it doesn't actually avert death and, and, and prolonged ICU stays and, mm. and that sort of thing, yeah. So one of the things we always talk about every time you come on the show <laughs> is I ask you about censorship in science. Now with the Danis Mass study, I imagine <laughs> that everybody wants to cancel that because it doesn't fit the mainstream narrative, which is, you know, shame people for not wearing masks, tis, tis, tis them based on, you know, the science, which we're trying to do the science on masks. And I'm a supporter of masks, by the way, but, me too. Uh, me too, my friend. Let me just say that into the camera. Me too. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of me too, we don't want to get canceled yeah, right. for not uh, advocating mass. I mean, I'm kidding. I would advocate not for mass if I thought the data didn't really support it enough. Yeah. I guess I would say um, about your question of, of, of this study. So this study is what it is. Um, does the mask protect the, the wearer by 50%? No. And that's what it was designed to a test and it found that that's not the case. And in fact, I actually give them a lot of credit. They predicted that there would be a 2% incidence of COVID in this time period in, in, in Denmark. Oh, oh, wow, great prediction, right? They actually got that right. Um, you, know, I, you know why, Vinay? Because it's a pandemic. Yeah, they, are. <laughs> oh, they just orchestrated that. Already knew. Yeah. So, yeah, they, so they got that. They actually got the prevalence right. Yeah. If if it is a planned pandemic, would like global leaders be coming down with it? You know, like I know Boris it's like Johnson, right? you know it's like wait, hold on. You know, uh, Trump, Boris Johnson. They but, came down. You know, that's a whole other discussion, yeah. right? Is these is these crazy conspiracies? People just have a lack of imagination with those conspiracies. Yeah. It's like, can you imagine an alternative explanation to your conspiracy? If you can't. We need to add a few more neuronal connections in your brain because there's something really missing. So, so, so back to the, okay, back the prevalence to the issue. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is the study. The study shows what it shows. It it was unable to find a 50 percent reduction. That's what it's shown to do. Mm. Um, does the study prove my mask protects you? Doesn't protect me? Unfortunately, it doesn't prove that. It doesn't disprove that either. It's not able to comment about that. Um, so there have been different interpretations. There's Professor Carl Hennigan from Oxford who wrote an article that I think said, masks have no significant effect. That's how he chose to interpret this study. There are other people who interpret this study to say that masks would have worked if we all use them or if they had tested in this cluster fashion or something like that. Um, I think that people should be allowed to interpret studies in a range of ways. You know, anytime a study comes out, there's no one canonical explanation. There's a range of interpretations. Would I word it the way Carl Hennigan has worded it? No, I wouldn't, and I didn't. I wrote my own article where I worded it the way I worded it. Um, there's another person on the other end who who believes they're more um, bullish about masks. They worded it a different way. I wouldn't word it that way either. Um, so I think the purpose of science is that we can all word it the way we want to word it and make our case. But the problem is Facebook censored Carl Hennigan's interpretation and labeled it, they just put a flag on it, said, we deem this to be false. And that's gonna work great because 
<clears throat> okay, first of all, that's just absurd. Yeah. Second of all, it gets to the heart of like people want Facebook to take this active role in, you know, especially Facebook's own employees. <clears throat> How come we're not calling out misinformation marks? Well, who's making that determination? Yeah. This is science, right? Like, I mean, Jay Bhattacharya, the the, the dreaded Jay Bhattacharya Evil. was sitting in your yes, seat. I remember. And I, I think that he was very rational in talking about his perspective. He may be wrong, he may be right, we don't know, but there's at least there's a dis debate to be had. You don't cancel him. I think, I mean, your one point is the moment they label it uh, fake or false, um, probably many more people looked at it than if they hadn't put a label on it at all. <laughs> exactly. Because we all are attracted to the forbidden. I mean, that's just a human emotion. Um, so that's one, does it actually affect it? The second point is, is that do we want a bunch of people who work for Facebook to be making these adjudications. Um, I'm comfortable with letting Carl Hennigan argue for his view and we can all argue for our own views and that's science. It's this space where we fight for hearts and minds of people, the war of ideas. I'm uncomfortable with letting the employees of a big technology company make those determinations for us. Mm. And so even though I wouldn't have worded it the way he worded it, and I kind of don't agree with how he has worded it, I respect and appreciate that he should be able to fight for his interpretation and I can fight for my interpretation, which is what I've done. That's what science is. Yeah. Well, okay, so now now let's take it to the next level of insanity. Uh, Scott Atlas. Oh gosh. I know, I know, I know. What? So free speech advocates say, let him speak. Um, Stanford University itself stepping back and saying, this guy, yo, bro, he's not one of us. Uh -huh. Like we don't support this. We like masks. We think social distancing is important. COVID's a real thing. He has no, he's not speaking for us. Where, wh how do you think about Scott and all this thing? Oh God, Scott Atlas. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he have to be so difficult? You know, oh, it makes God, life so Scott difficult Atlas. because we're fighting, we're arguing for people's right to, to, to argue science. Uh, yes. Um, and yet. And he pushes me to the limits. Yeah, yes. I think you're right. He pushes me to the limits because he's said some things that I thought were so tone deaf and foolish. Yes. Uh, for instance, after the Michigan governor has uh, faced a kidnapping attempt um, for him to say, uh, quote unquote, rise up, I think is incredibly inappropriate, tone deaf, yeah. bad, shouldn't have said that. He should have some better sense. I actually want to appeal to Scott Atlas saying, you know, there are different people in society. There are people who can stand on the sidelines and uh, comment, and there are people who actually go and shape policy. Why does he want to be both? He wants to be both a part of the yeah. federal response and talking, 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 stop talking. Do your, whatever, I mean, at least argue for your ideas within the realm of the sphere of influence you've been granted. Um, Anyway, that's a you, 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 what I, you're saying is you can't be a troll and the trolley. That's, right. that's what I'm saying. That's what <laughs> I'm saying. The same time. Why is he trolling me in? He's the guy running the show. Oh my God. Okay, but here's here's what I'll say about it. So I 100% disagree with what he said. I think, um, you know, he he may I don't know the best case scenarios. He's he's too aloof to even know the implications of what he said. That's the best case in some mm, scenario. Mm. Um, um, Stanford's response, I think, it threads the needle rather elegantly. So what do they say? They say, Stanford, we believe in masks. We support these public health measures. Um, Scott Atlas is taking a leave from his role in the Hoover Institute. He's speaking on his own behalf, not us. Right. But what doesn't it say? It doesn't say Scott Atlas will face disciplinary action at right, Stanford University. Right, right, right. So I think actually in a way, even though many of us have sought solace in Stanford's statement that it is a clear articulation of Stanford views, I think it also is a clear articulation of academic freedom. They are saying that we will take no action against Scott Atlas. We're not gonna fire him. We're not gonna discipline him. Um, academic freedom is a tricky thing. 
A lot of people will abuse it. A lot of people will say stupid things. A lot of people will say wrong things. It doesn't exist to protect you from every stupid and wrong idea. It exists because some tiny fraction of stupid wrong ideas are actually right. And so we give a lot of people the freedom to hang themselves so a few people can actually make great insights. And that was Barry Marshall with H. Pylori. That was yeah. um, Bernie Fisher with, uh, with lumpectomy. These were people who had very controversial positions that people thought they were killing people or foolish or misguided. They turned out to be right. And so the freedom for 100 Scott Atlases is so that there can be one Bernie Fisher. Ignaz Semmelweis. A great example. Yeah, who said, uh, hey, wash your hands, wash your hands obstetricians, yeah. or yeah. you're getting gonna get purple sepsis. Yeah. And he was basically died in an insane asylum, yeah. was ostracized. So so this is a real thing. And I, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because this is such a delicate balance because again, I will fight <clears throat> for Scott Atlas's right academically free to say whatever he wants, but you're right. Personally, I feel like he's playing the troll and the trolley. Yes. He's tone deaf. And then he comes out and says, well, I just don't know how to Twitter. Oh, well then get the F off, get Twitter, off Twitter, dude. My friend, get I off. don't know how to Twitter, so I avoid it like the plague. I don't know how to TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, <laughs> right? Yeah. Hey, I don't yeah. know how to TikTok and I tried it anyways and it was an embarrassment. <laughs> like a 47 year old guy on TikTok, like, hey, hey, hey. It's like, okay, stop, just stop. Yeah, um, but, but you know, so I think relating to that though is again, we'll go, to, we'll go to war to fight for his right to say that. I think you're right about the latest Stanford statement. I think you're right. The original uh, medical school- uh, Those where, are his colleagues. They're free to- um, you know, we're all free to attack our colleagues. Um, and his colleagues took him to task. And I think that's okay too. That's their free speech. They can say that why they think Scott Atlas is wrong. Um, but the university has, I think, taken a very, I mean, it's a hard to thread this needle to be able to say, this guy can say what he wants to say and fight for his cause. We don't agree with him. Mm. Um, and he's speaking on his own behalf. Mm. Um, I think that's tough. And and I don't know, you're, you're, you make a good point, which is that he pushes me to my limit because he says things that I'm not very happy with. Um, Carl Hennigan, I think, is treading more within the realm of what the study showed and didn't show. Um, I think he may have more of a case that he's technically not saying anything incorrect, although you may strongly disagree with how he's framing it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think these are shades of gray. Um, it's a tricky subject, but the, wor the other worry is, let's talk about the worry. The real worry is, what if we were to crack down on speech? Who's mm. gonna win this battle? And I think my concern is I'm somebody who's done so much work against um, drug companies pushing products that I think have very marginal benefits and deep harms, a lot of uncertainty. They will beat me, they will crush me. They have more resources, more power. If Facebook is the arbiter, then the drug companies can go to Facebook. They can take, for every one oncologist like me who's critical of some drug, they can get 20 oncologists who are on their payroll, um, consultants for them, to go to Facebook and say, you know, VP is saying fake news, it's wrong, he's wrong put a flag on his article, he's fake news. This is key because people don't realize this. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. If you don't <clears throat> think corporate money runs these institutions, yes, the it thing. absolutely does. Yes. So the minute you start thinking, well, I'm gonna sh shut up Scott Atlas or I'm gonna shut up Jay Bhattacharya or Aaron Ben David or any of these guys, <clears throat> even though what they're doing is saying, okay, here, especially Jay and Aaron, yeah. uh, here's some contrary science that we think is very important because we care about people too. Yes. We care about people losing their, their lives due to economic, substance abuse, alcoholism, uh, social isolation, all of that stuff. So, but we're saying, no, but you don't tow the dogma and it's dangerous. This term is thrown around a lot, it's dangerous. People are already 50-50 divided on yes. this, right? And and so this idea of dangerous is very dangerous. Yes, I think. it is. 
I agree with you 100%. I mean, Jay and Aaron and John Yonides, these are people who have a different fundamental intuition about the benefits and harms of lockdown. Are they right? I don't know. Are they mm -hmm. wrong? I don't know either. But I really worry that if we cannot engage them in dialogue, mm -hmm. it is a failure of us. We need to have this dialogue with them. Maybe maybe they end up seeing the wisdom of our side point, or you know, the opposite side that we need to have more lockdowns and more shutdowns, things like that. But maybe they persuade us or temper our enthusiasm in some way. Um, nobody knows the answer to COVID. There's no uh, magic book that has the answers. It is a serious issue that honestly, no one person can wrap their mind around the whole problem. And so we, we do ourselves a disservice if we try to stifle every contrarian voice out there. I think what you just said is the most important statement. And it's something I've been trying to say on the show is nobody knows all the answers. Nobody can know all the answers. We have to listen to dissenting opinions, but we have to do it from a place of <clears throat> civil discourse yes. and argument and taking science and not just confirming our biases. Because we ought to be challenging our own biases because we're the easiest people to fool because <laughs> we're so deeply biased. And it depends on what, what's your political elephant, what's your ideological elephant, how do you feel about liberty versus autonomy, you know, liberty versus oppression, how do you feel about care versus harm, how do you feel about sanctity versus degradation? These are moral flavors. I suspect that John and Jay and these guys have a are coming at it from a different moral taste bud palette, but taking the science and looking at it differently because they have a different intuition about it, like you said. Yeah. Now, it may be that the truth is somewhere right in between those, Maybe. or it could be skewed to one side, but Maybe. we don't know yet. But that's why you science the crap out of it, which yeah. is something we haven't been doing great. I mean, what do you think? Do you yeah. think we've been doing the trials right? What's been going on? I think that the pandemic has revealed the inadequacies of science. Mm. Um, we can just take it at several levels. I mean, one level would just be the therapeutics, something very simple. What drugs help people with COVID and what don't? Um, we have a glut of retrospective observational studies. Um, when you have a, a field where there are strong opinions and there are many, many data sets and there are many, many different ways you can do analysis, retrospective observational studies are a self-fulfilling prophecy. I can get you a hydroxychloroquine retrospective study shows, it's the greatest thing. I get you one that shows it's, it's poison. I can get you a study that shows, you know, tocilizumab works or it doesn't work, retrospective. We need to do randomized trials because when there are too many people, too many analytic plans, too much flexibility, you'll never learn truth from retrospective studies. You need prospective studies. And we do have some good ones. We have dexamethasone with recovery. We have the WHO solidarity. Um, we have studies on tocilizumab. Um, so this is just one slice, the therapeutics. Now we can talk about science when it comes to prevention, science when it comes to population science, school science. Um, these are even more complicated questions because school is not just one drug. It's something that affects so many different uh, types of society and, and life. And, um, and you need a lot of different people brought in on this problem. Um, anyway, so I guess my answer to your question is, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not in a good place with where where science is and where it's going. I, I'm with you, and I think what 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 you said is important because you have to bring in economists yep. and educators, and so I think these people that are banging the drum on Twitter and social media, which is so divisive, is listen to the scientists, listen to the yeah, listen to the scientists and the economists and the school teachers yeah. because they all have a piece of this very big holistic puzzle which affects each other. So yeah, if you're going with straight science, if we locked all of us down for two weeks straight and we never saw another person, the thing would die out. Yeah, at some point in time. At some point in time. But if it didn't, then of course it's because people didn't follow the rules, right? Of course, we're gonna blame the people. You know, yeah, that's right, that's right, right, that's right. That's right. So then you start shaming and you go, you're yeah. killing people and so on and so forth. Forget the fact that people, and you wrote this beautifully because I think it's a good transition into what you wrote about Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. 
listen, dude, like, I mean, how many people are watching right now? 2,100 people. Um, I can see with the comments between the crazy conspiracy people and between the people that are asking legitimate questions, we're so tired. We're exhausted. Oh, it's, exhausted. We've taken a social animal. We've disrupted its fabric. It's like if we were hamsters in a cage living in Petco or one of these like pet mills and suddenly every day they some big thing reached its hand in and grabbed us yes. <laughs> and, and moved us to a different cage, yes. disrupted our companions, yes. gave us That's different food, uh, made us uh, put us on a different wheel, a hamster wheel we would lose our minds. And I think that's what's happening. So people are, and then what's happening is on top of that. So people are like, I, I, I'm shutting down, I can't do this. I'm gonna have my damn Thanksgiving. My father is 80 years old. Yeah. This is gonna happen. I'm gonna gather with my friends because I need this, I need this. You said it in your piece. It's not that they want this. They they are saying they need They're this. They're crying out they need it. They're yeah. crying that they need this. Yeah. And what does the public health apparatus do? Because it doesn't know how to do this right. It says, no. You need to not travel, not do this, not do this. End of story, abstinence. Don't have sex, just say no. How does that work? What a great question. <laughs> um, but just one second, I wanna say that we'll follow the science because I have a, my next article is gonna be called Follow the Science, is that a, is that a plausible mo a motto? Ah. And, I, and I, I actually think um, it is not. Uh, policy is science plus values. Science can tell you, science, let's just take the school's question. Science can tell you, that if I open schools or close schools, what are the different outcomes for the educational attainment of the students? What's the risk that they can get SARS-CoV-2? Science can tell you what's the risk to the teachers, what's the risk to the greater community from having open and closed schools. In fact, we have a number of estimates. I think they suggest that the risk to the community is, is less than we think. The risk to kids for lack of education is, is, is a serious threat. And so I have a certain moral intuition that we ought to open schools. I, I share that with you. Yeah. I noticed that and I yeah. appreciate that because I think that that's a, such an important message. Um, but making that decision that's not science. That's a value policy decision. That's a human decision. Um, and so when people say follow the science, I guess I get a little uncomfortable with that because I think it, 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 it's as if scientists wish to seize more authority in a, in a democratic system than they really have. Science is the way to show people the trade-offs, but only politics and people can decide what choices they're willing to make. Um, so I, I'm, and we, we've lived in, I think, uh, dystopian worlds where science gets too far and tries to control things. And I think the eugenics movement might be some of that. I mean, that's the worst case scenario. Um, we should be have some humility as scientists to say that just because I'm a doctor, just because I study policy doesn't mean I get to decide how others should make trade-offs. Um, that's not my role. I can frame the trade-offs, better clarify the trade-offs, but I need people to participate in that process. Absolutely, and and and, and uh, hang on, let me switch the camera. There we go. I'm trying, still trying to multitask. I'm looking at comments. So. <sighs> that policy is a is a, is interpreting science through the values yes, of, of a, a community society, of, of a community. society. Yes, inherently. And, and people who people who say, well, well, but there's you know, we have this mandate now that you know Biden was elected, so therefore we're going to go full lockdown, full you know shutdown, full mask, full all of this. Forget that. 74 odd, however many million people voted uh, the other way. Yes. People's values are different. I, I, I actually had a post this morning that I put up on my website because I got a message. And yeah, it's funny. I just did a piece on like mean tweets, like yes. ZDog MD reads mean comments. And it's <laughs> so much fun because you can just have fun with it and people are crazy, but then they're also have some good points. And so it's fun. But when you get a positive message, 
you can actually learn a lot from that, but we tend not to because we have a negative bias. Mm -hmm. We tend to discount these positive messages right, and course, be like, yeah. whatever, you know, they don't know me. They really knew me, they know I was worthless. Uh. And, and so <laughs> it's funny, so I get this message and it was a, 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 a sister whose sister is a twin, I presume identical twin. Since COVID started, the one is a nurse, the other's not a nurse, but works with, they have adopted children from China with special needs and it's been very hard. So the, and they live in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. When the shutdown happened, it affected them both differently, right? So the person working in the hospital had this moral intuition that our hospitals are gonna get overwhelmed. We need to do everything we can to close up. The other who's now having to homeschool these children right. with special needs and all the special needs apparatus has been taken away is slowly going crazy. Sure, I can imagine. And they started to be at each other's throats. Yes. And to the point where they, they said that their family couldn't be around them because they were arguing. These are these are twins. I see, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like the, genetically they're the same. Right. Yeah, their values are different. Based on their life circumstances, which are different. Their lives are different. And you know, I think um, this feeds in a little bit to this discussion on Thanksgiving that you're, you're steering us towards, which is um, how did this all get started in my mind? Um, there was a poll that was conducted, and um, I can't speak to the accuracy of this poll. We know how good polls are these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things about polls is people have difficult time admitting that they hold views that are considered socially inappropriate or unpopular. Mm. And yet, despite that bias, this poll says 38% of Americans were gonna get together with 10 or more people for Thanksgiving. Only a third were gonna wear masks mm. indoors. Mm. Um, when I read that poll, I was floored. Um, I knew from talking to my high school friends from Indiana who live in Kentucky and different parts of this country um, uh, that I knew the sentiments around this lockdown have affected different people differently. They affect, I think, blue collar workers differently than white collar workers, people who can telework versus people who can't telework, people who have young kids at home versus people who don't have young kids at home. People, it affects rich people differently than poor people. I think it has hurt uh, some people a lot more than it hurts other people. Um, and there may be a class of people who um, can primarily work through Zoom, who can order their foods on Uber Eat. I think the Zoomocracy. Zoomocracy that Jay talks about. Mm -hmm. I think he has a point that those people may play an oversized role in social media narratives because they are more plugged in than the people who are uh, differently. Nevertheless, I read this poll and it said, told me that even when people are ashamed to admit they're getting together for Thanksgiving, 38% are still admitting that. So yeah. I think the true number is a lot higher. 50, 60%. That's yeah. what I guess. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just like polling for, are you going to vote for Trump or not? Well. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if you start in, if you really get some, you know, I have my med school friends, I got doctor buddies. When I start talking to people who are doctors, you know, the truth comes out. And the sometimes people, people are doing things. Let's just yeah. say people are doing things. People want to get together. <laughs> yeah. And, and we should also acknowledge America. America is a country, um, uh, unlike my parents' country of India, where you, you maybe the only time you actually see your parents uh, each year is around the holidays, mm. you know, for a lot of people. Mm. It means, I think, a different thing than it means in different parts of the world where people may live with their parents, um, you know, as, mm. as they do in other countries. Um, so when I read this poll, I thought, oh boy, uh, people are telling us they are desperate for human connections. They have been doing this for many months. They've listened to a news cycle that's been nothing about COVID and they're gonna do this anyway. And I had a pang of fear and I still have the fear. I think we're gonna have more cases in December than you know we've ever seen. We already have cases going through the roof. It's gonna be even more. Mm. Um, ICUs are gonna face um, disastrous situations. Rationing situations. And, yeah. yeah, I think it's gonna be a tough situation. So what should we do as public health experts? The moment the poll went on Twitter, it had the inevitable response that people said, all caps lock, you know, don't do this. 
have Thanksgiving. You want to have Thanksgiving in person? You better plan funeral for your loved one in Christmas. You know, that's something. Yeah, that, that's yeah. exactly how it is on Twitter. It's it's, it's it's a crazy response. People don't realize that the the poll is baiting the doctor. The poll is provoking the doctor to respond in this absolutist way. They are a pawn of the of the puppeteer, and the puppeteer is the person who wrote the headline in just the way to get you to react. That's, I mean, you're, you're being part of the machine. And so then you react forcefully. And then of course, um, that forceful message, absolutism, that's what social media loves absolutism. They love unflinching, unquestioning absolutism. I mean, whatever the view may be, absolutism is, a, is a, such a popular thing on social media. Um, and it gets the retweets and the likes. And then somebody comes in with a message saying like, look, we really would advise not to do this. However, if you are gonna do it, here are some things you can do. Before you go to your loved one, um, one, you should plan on driving. Two. Um, you should self-quarantine in your house, um, pull your kids out of daycare or, or that sort of thing, and stay in your house for about 14 days before to lower the risk that you're bringing virus to the party. Get the other people who participate to do the same thing. Instead of um, having Thanksgiving indoors, put a picnic table out outside, put some two heat lamps, have it outdoors if possible. Um, Open the windows, open the windows in your house, get the fire roaring, open the windows up, um, you know, wear sweaters, you know, you know, different things to mitigate the harm. We know indoors, many people, long hours, no masks, that's the worst. Anything we can do to change that dynamic, um, the better. Um, get tested before. Maybe if the tests aren't perfect, but it might lower the risk that you're bringing someone who's asymptomatic into the party. Um, you know, different ways we can mitigate the risk. And, and I feel like that, and the whole purpose of my article was to point out that I believe that's what public health really means. Public health means that when people tell you they're gonna do something, hear them, and then think about what can you do to temper the damage that's gonna happen. And if you draw the hard line, the absolutist line, it can blow up in your face and they meet under the worst of circumstances and the virus spreads much more. The, the, okay, the, the, okay, yes, 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 yes. And this is why when I read your piece, I'm like, okay, I gotta ask you to be on the show and and, and yet you just happen to be in the neighborhood. I mean, it's crazy. So this, this is what it is. Okay, so, so many things here. So okay, first of all, my mm -hmm. my high school girlfriend's dad used to teach the band at my high school. <laughs> and when I was going to college at Berkeley, I was leaving Clovis, California, and he sat me down and he said, listen, I don't know that your parents are gonna tell you this, so I'm gonna tell you this. He goes, they're gonna tell you don't do drugs, they're gonna tell you do this, you're gonna do, you're going to UC Berkeley. I know what you're gonna do. Right. What I'm gonna ask you to do is don't mix drugs. <laughs> don't, don't do more than one drug at a time and be as safe as you can, because yeah. I know what you're gonna do. Yeah. And that's harm reduction. Yes, it is. That was a useful piece of advice that I never forgot. Yes, it is. The, the, the second thing you said is that when the headline designer designs a headline yes. that's gonna outrage, yes. uh, he is working under the construct that he's gonna get paid by generating clicks through to a website based on advertising revenue, which is the whole social dilemma yes. premise. You, by responding the way that people have, by getting outraged, by black or white thinking, by overgeneralizing, by catastrophizing, by going on social yes. media and getting the reward, the slot machine reward of yes. a ton of likes yes. when you say, yes. I am Z-Dog, wear your damn mask, Demania. Right. Uh, you are being played. You're being played. You're the fish on the hook. You're the fish on the hook. They, they hooked you. Whoever it is at the company that is being incentivized in this way um, has has generated a profound emotional reaction in you that they sought to generate for your attention. They're taking your attention as a commodity and the attention of, the attention of people who are around you. They have played you. And they're not just playing average folks. They're playing folks with a lot of degrees. 
You know, they're playing doctors, <laughs> health policy experts. They're I'm playing gonna, people. I'm yeah. going to say this, that the smarter you are, smarter yeah. meaning the more yes, letters, you, letters have you have after your name, right, right? right? And I bet there's a bunch of BSN, MSN, MSNBC, PADRRTs right I, now. I want to say, I don't, yeah. actually don't believe that those degrees are a marker of intelligence. I, I agree too. Okay, so let's I, just, We're all putting that out there. But we're just saying, we're saying they're playing a certain they're class They're playing a person. certain yeah. class of yeah. person that feels they're the intelligentsia yes. and those people have the deepest biases and are in denial of the emotional heart of who they are the worst. So they are played by their own unconscious emotions. And the, the, the games that the social media companies play actually really work well on oh, people yeah. like us because, meaning the, the highly educated science-y types, because we have our biases, but we don't really know how to recognize them properly. And so we have very little insight, we do very little mindfulness, and we get played, and then we we go out and play others by generating the same emotional response through a tweet that leads to a ton of likes or a ton of retweets. Like, look, Jennifer Gunter can can get a billion retweets saying something politically, you know, direct about something that she feels very strongly about. I can go post a nuanced thing on Twitter that kind of sees this alt middle that I like to call it, and nobody cares. Like it'll get nothing. And that that brings me back one thing I wanted to say. The twin story I told you ended with, they both watched my show. They watched episodes where I talked about moral matrices. I talked about uh, understanding the other side of something that isn't sides and seeing how people can behave. Like you said, listening to what people are telling you. They're saying they're they're lonely, they're isolated, they're tired. And that's not a bad, I mean, we should have some compassion. I mean, people are suffering. They're telling you they're lonely and they wanna spend time with their loved ones. And I see so many people say like, oh, just suck it up for a few more months. I know. In a perfect world, that's what you know. You would advise people, but listen to what they're saying. They're saying they're desperate for this kind of camaraderie, this kind of socialization. It's not wrong that people crave. I wrote in my article. They crave like water, food, sex, and social interaction. Not, not necessarily, necessarily in that order. order. <laughs> not necessarily in that order. Exactly. Yeah, it's not in that order. But to your point about politics, which I think is important, the other way we are getting played is to have very strong left-right political positions on Twitter. Yeah. Um, when you told me the first time that you call it the alt middle. Um, I didn't know what to take, but at, with each passing week, I see the wisdom in what you're trying to do because the algorithms, the follower counts, the retweets, the likes, um, you can only get so much when you talk about orthopedic surgery. You can only get so much when you talk about antibiotic grams. Um, you can only go so much when you talk about clinical diagnosis. When you start ta- mixing public health medicine with naked politicking that I like candidate X, Y, Z, um, you can get massive response. Yeah. Um, and, and then the risk is that at some point, um, the rope between the speaker and the audience um, is being pulled the other direction. The audience is pulling you. They're baiting you into being more and more overtly political. Um, you, you're saying things you may not necessarily have set out wishing to say. You may become more critical of your political opponents, harder in your statements. Um, and I think actually even though we have a, we don't discuss it enough, when this mask thing is looked at in retrospect, I think there will be a few things that stand out in people's minds as to why we became so polarized about masks, why a mask literally tells me that you voted for Joe Biden if you wear the mask, and if you don't, you voted for Donald Trump. Like, how did it get to that point where mask is a political party? In part, because of the politician who decided to, on a couple occasions, not to wear it. But the media, I think, took his hook. He likes to generate provoke, and the more they pointed out that he wasn't doing it, he might have done it a little to thumb his nose in their face. You know, not because he actually believed it, but then he's like, oh, this is the thing you're gonna tell me? Okay, fine, I won't wear it. And then 
The folks on the left, they started to say, we're going to wear the mask. It's going to be our symbol and people who don't are, you know. And so I think to some degree, it sounds cliche to say it, but to some degree, both extremes made it more of an identity issue than it needed to be. And and by the time the election was over, we were just in such a bad place on it. That it is the dumbest thing in the history of humanity that masks are a political statement. Yes, this is dumb. so dumb. You know, imagine if, it, and you're absolutely right, I agree with every single Every syllable that you uttered, I agree with. And the thing is, if it were, if it were so let's say Obama was president and the Republicans were in the opposition and the pandemic's happening and it's in their political interest to, you know, really catastrophize it. And it's, oh, it's good point. you know, yes, what would have happened then? I think it would have been a very different vibe. And it's just by the grace of luck that Trump is president and he happens to be the guy that knows how to thumb his nose at all these things. Like that's what he does. And he also knows how to trigger people, yes, especially on the left. So this is another thing, yes. like if Trump triggers you, you've been played. <laughs> I mean, more than any politician I've ever seen in my life, he knows how to get you to talk about what he wishes you talk about. Right. Instead of you talking about your own agenda, he will get you to talk about his agenda by thumbing the nose very forcefully, you know, like right. really provo provoking you. Um, that is a power. You're bestowing your attention to what he wishes you bestow it to. Um, and he's quite good at it. And I think we have to give him credit. He's a, he's a masterful person at that art. Um, and I think the folks on the left have not seen how deeply they've been played and how much of the news cycle has been responding to his tweets. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely true. And I think the other thing is that I think you know, I think the left scratches their head at why, and again, we're getting, again, what is this alt-middle? Alt-middle yeah. is not a political statement. A, no, no alt-middle is, you can be a communist and be in the alt-middle. You you can be as far right as you can get and be in the alt-middle. If you're there to listen and understand that people have different ideas and they're all good people trying to do the right thing and you're not getting played. In other words, you are not knee-jerk responding on Twitter. You're not politicizing every single thing like masks. You're not, and, and I think, um, now, I forget what I was saying about this, but this idea that um, the left is so perplexed at how Trump could have gotten so many votes that they're blind to the fact that, that the, first of all, them having been played, the degree of, of language censorship, yeah. the degree of cancellation and cancel culture, people just see it as irrational. And yes. you don't have to be some right wing nut to feel that way about, man, I just being born white and male, say, uh, would be a strike against you. Yes. And anything you say is gonna get you canceled. That's very frustrating for a lot of Americans. I guess I would um, say that I am somebody who I continue to argue is a true progressive in the sense that the things I strongly believe in, that we ought to have healthcare that we afford to people that actually is not an income redistribution vehicle to the wealthy, but rather provides real substantive health to people. How I think about cancer drugs and pricing and approving products, how I think about um, all the safety nets in society, the ladders of opportunity like public schools and education, on all these issues I'm deeply aligned with the progressive agenda. And yet I note in the election that it is quite close and the country is deeply divided. And I don't think a lot of that is due to people's points of view on specific health policy and policy issues. I think a lot of it is due to a reaction to what people see as, I think, illiberalism or mm. against classical liberalism. Mm. This idea that, um, you know, that folks who agree with you 65% are evil. 
I say take the 65%. Take it. Take what you get. You're and try, lucky, and get yeah. It to eight, try to get it to 80 in the next year. Right. Folks, um, you know, we have to build a big tent. We have to be tolerant. There are people in our tent that we want their support. We want them to be a part of our team, but you know, they don't agree with everything we agree with. Um, I think when you start labeling things as false information, trying to censor people, when you start writing to people's bosses, trying to get them fired, <sighs> when you start um, when you start punching below the belt in that way, I think it, it's, it's problematic. When you start saying things like 74 million people are, are racist, uh, I, 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 I would disagree. And yeah. look, I grew up in, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Indiana. Uh, I grew up in, I was born in Ohio. Um, I, I've often, often been the darkest person in the, in the room um, <laughs> or, or one of the only few colored people in, in a class of hundreds of people. Um, and I know for sure there are few people in whatever society who do harbor, I think, prejudice and racist views. But I know for a fact that that is not you know, sixty percent of it's people not the standard of care. It's not yeah. the standard. It's not the standard in these states, yeah. Yeah. and so I think it's it's it 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 diminishes what it means to be racist to call everyone who disagrees with you racist. It takes something away from that word. Um, it is pejorative. It will keep you. It will poison people. Keep them out of your tent. Who wants to be in a party where you go to and just get insulted for not being good enough or pure enough? And I think that is the crux of the challenge on the left. That we. I mean, I, not me because I don't try to do that, but I I I, I hate to see people around me who hold a lot of the views. I hold engage in those tactics. Um, we see that from in our line of work, Med Twitter, where there's always some paper to be outraged about, and we people call for it to be retracted, right. even though we did a whole show on that. Yeah, and there's a new paper. I, I haven't even read the new paper. I can't. I can't. You can't keep up. I can't keep up, and I don't want to be like. Um, like, I don't want my reading agenda set by what outraged people want to be outraged about. Yeah. I can't, I want to read what I want to read. Uh, tell me about it. I get these papers and I'm like, I don't care about this, <laughs> but apparently the public cares because they've been outraged on social media, whether it's the latest conspiracy thing. I had to debunk this woman talking about, you know, the Christiane Northrup, Northrup talking about how vaccine metals are gonna turn us into 5G antennas controlled by Bill Gates's <laughs> nanoparticles. <laughs> We're laughing our ass off and yet, this was shared 25,000 times and got, showed up in my inbox about 50 times. Can you say something about this? Do I have to? <laughs> Is this end times? Like, what are we, what's going on? So that's an interesting theme. And I'll, 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 I'll talk about something that just came out recently that, that I don't know, people are divided about. Um, and I have a view. <laughs> My view is that we cannot let the most irrational person in society set the agenda for the rest of us. And so uh, there's a new paper out in JAMA, JAMA, Mama JAMA. I wish I could publish all my papers in JAMA, but they say no a lot. I guess they're saving the page space for gems like this. Um, this is a study that took people and they did a pulse ox and then they put a mask on them and they did another pulse ox and the pulse ox was lo and behold the same. And so then the studies publish and say, masks don't lower your pulse oximetry. I was like, great. And I was like, yeah, I, I, I didn't think they did. <laughs> to be honest with you. Right. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a big believer that surgeons were putting masks on and desatting all the time. Like I, I, you, you would think surgeons would have like hemoglobins of like 30, you right, know? Right, yeah. <laughs> surgeons have polycythemia to compensate for right. chronic oxygen deprivation. Right. Yeah. No, I, yeah, obviously it's a stupid thing because I, you know, obviously this is just not the case. You can wear that for many hours. Yes. Um, okay. What's going on here? Why do they publish it? Well, they published it because um, there is some people who disagree with masks who try to identify things that are harmful about it. Um, some of the things I've heard are it can increase your carbon dioxide, it can lower your oxygen, it can block your face so people don't know what you're feeling. Um, it can be hard to physically exert yourself 
And actually, I just had to move some boxes up to my fifth floor office. And oh, it's elevator. the worst, dude! I was, I was, dude. Really struggling. You feel like you feel like New York stage four <laughs> heart failure. You know, like, am I going to start getting edema? Like, I what's like, going look, on? I'm, I wear the mask. I just want to say, you know, I, you'll see me in a mask in a minute when I walk out of here. And um, uh, you know, I wear a mask. Um, but that said, I did struggle to clear, carry these books up with the mask. And and when you sweat a lot and it gets wet, it's it's it it, yeah. It's not. I mean, we just have to acknowledge that that is yeah. there's some truth to yes. that. Okay, absolutely. Otherwise, we'd be wearing masks all the time. We're not. Okay. Exactly. All right. Anyway, so this there are many claims people make who don't like the mask. One is that it lowers the O2. They mm. did this, I think, stupid study to show it doesn't. Uh, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Of course, it's not going to. They don't want it to. And the thing about the endpoint is it is uh, an endpoint where if the O2 was any lower, they'll just recheck the pulse ox until they got what they wanted. I mean, <laughs> that's how right. they get, it's a bias susceptible just endpoint. Game it. Yeah. So um, it was published in JAMA and uh, I was critical of it. This guy, John Mandrola was critical of it. Oh, John is great. I love, I love John. Jan Ma- John Mandrola, if you don't follow him on Twitter, he's one of the good Thoughtful. total alt middle guy. Yeah. Yeah, he is actually. Yeah. He strives yeah. to being inclusive and bring people over. And also I think pro universal healthcare too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so, um, but then people push back and said, well, you know, you're living in a bubble. People believe this. And so we have to debunk these myths. And I was like, okay, then let's just do the next study then. So they also said it's gonna raise CO2. So give me your artery. Let's do ABG stick you. Let's start sticking. You know, where does this end? <laughs> and what if they said, what if somebody said that wearing a mask um, increases your risk of lymphoma? Okay, are you gonna run? Are you gonna go do a trial? Do what if they said it increases the FDG uptake in your in your nasal sinuses? You gonna boot PET scan imaging on everyone? I mean, you can't fight uh, people with irrational views by doing studies. You're, you, in other words, you're giving them the control of the research agenda. And so I think this is like a huge mistake. Is this what happened? Do you think this is what happened with hydroxychloroquine? Or do you think we didn't study it enough? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we studied it. I, 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 I think that it was studied disproportionately to the evidence that support that initially supported it. Right. Um, and I think you could have just done a couple randomized trials to to quiet people. But there were a few actual people who deal with um, viral biology who thought it had some compelling rationale. Right. Right. But you know, right. there are few. But there were a lot of I think people pushing it for who Lord knows why. Well, you know, I think again, it gets to the, we, we can politicize anything now. Yeah. So hydrochloride, well, you know, Trump mentioned it once. Well, now it's a tribal badge of identity. Well, that's another good example because I think um, they, like I didn't believe it was gonna work. In fact, I tweeted, you can go find my tweet about pretest probability being close to zero, but there are people who I respect who thought it might've had a shot. Right. We were doing a randomized trial. So we have to accrue people. One of those things is people have to be interested enough to try it. But but kind of also a little bit neutral, so they're willing to be randomized to placebo. Right. So then Trump comes in and he says it's the greatest thing. Well, that's not good for a randomized trial. No one wants placebo. Nobody wants placebo. But then a lot of ex- people on the left say it's a poison and it'll cause QT prolongation <laughs> and kill you, and it cause torsade de points. Right. Um, so that's not good for a randomized trial either because they're fear mongering about the harms. And if we're perfectly honest, hydroxychloroquine is kind of you know it has some side effects, but, but it's not they're the- not. People take Plaquenil all day, every day. All They're not day, dropping day, dead. All day, every day. Yeah. With, with, with RA. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not the, you know. Ah, we've lost our damn minds, have yeah. I? That's why, that's why, again, like you, Mandrola, like these guys, there's a cadre of people on social media that are doctors that are very, very, very good about looking at the nuance in these things and also saying, hey, look, I'm a progressive and yet I'm not going to play that tribal badge, I'm looking for truth as well, even though I have these beliefs that I think we have, we can move to a more equitable, more just distribution of whatever, that's fine. It's when we're playing this as a badge and then that means that it influences our 
thinking on the science. You know, vaccine now, I'm worried about the vaccine thing because, yeah. and I, Wait, we should- can I jump in before you- Oh, yeah, please, please, please. Okay, well, I wanted to say, um, I've been thinking about it. I'm curious what your take is. I'm trying to identify like, what is the characteristic among the people I know on Twitter who strive as you say towards truth and without, I think, taking hysterical and sensational positions in, in all directions. And I think my the thought I come to is that, um, you know, I know what I believe. Uh, before social media, I lived in my own skin for a long time, for a few decades, you know, and I had a lot of boredom in my youth and I spent a lot of time thinking about what I believe. And when I did, went to medical school, I didn't have social media. I spent a lot of time marinating in my own thoughts. I have very strong opinions on how you should interpret studies and how you should, and I do research in this space. I know what I believe. And so I think sometimes my views come across as some this camp, that camp, because I'm always sticking to who I am, my identity that predates social media. I worry about the youth that grew up only in the world of social media. They didn't have that misery that we had growing up, where you had long time to get comfortable with who you are, what you believe, what you stand for. Their whole lives are being shaped with the constant affirmation or criticism of others in the form of, you know, their Instagram accounts, their TikToks, how people view them. And I worry that they don't know what they believe and they can be more easily led by the likes and the retweets. They can be easily seduced. Mandrola, I know personally, is somebody who, um, just a generally kind of nice guy, the classic nice guy. And I think he's also knows who he is and what he stands for. Um, Anyway, that's my thought, is a hypothesis. I think there's a lot to that. And it gets right into this sort of coddling of the American mind thing with social media influencing our young people. Again, like equals validation. When we were young, it was like, like you said, such horrendous boredom, especially <laughs> so in the, boring, in the towns we grew so up boring. in. So boring, yeah, dude. Like I was there. pulling my hair out, now it's all gone. <laughs> you I wish mean, you could do it again. Though. Yeah, I mean, you have a nice lush starting <laughs> yeah. base. I, I, it was, horrific that you would sit with your thoughts, which means you would get into stuff like I was learning astronomy when I was nine. I was like, because again, I would just, what do I do to keep from jumping out of my skin? Every Voltron episode's been watched. All the GI Joes have been watched. I, I, so you start to think about things and wonder who you are and there's no external validation or yes. not. You may argue at the dinner table with your parents, you may, and you wanna be the rebel so you take the opposite point, but then yes. pretty soon you find out who you are. And my advocacy is always be authentic authentically you, be but you are, yeah. be who you are, be it in a respectful way, argue your points respectfully and understand that other people are being authentically them. And that doesn't make them bad people, usually. You know, some people are just a little irredeemably personality challenged and it's very hard and you know, we, we all know them. And But in general, if we come from that place of love, compassion, acceptance, then we can actually influence people. Like, do you think if I took firm, strong, amazingly polarized political stances on my show that I would have the audience I have that's no, so broad and diverse and able to agree on what we do agree on. I mean, it wouldn't happen. And not only would it ha not happen, I think you would probably be wrong because um, extremism in all its forms is probably misguided and wrong. Yeah. Um, there is some sense in, you know, wisdom of the crowd sort of thing that there is some balance and sense in how we view these issues. We can have progress, but it can't go too quick. I mean, there are a lot of unintended consequences when you accelerate it too much. Um, you know, I used to think back when I was a high school student and um, like I would remember I'd go over to my friend's house and it's like a 30 minute drive over there because we're living out in the middle oh, of nowhere. Totally, Indiana. same thing, yeah. Yeah, and um, I used to, and there's no podcast. 
Actually, I had the same couple CDs I had. I'd listen to those over and over again. Queensryche, Operation Mind's Crime. That was mine and a few Rush CDs. Uh, they were actually tapes. I for was me. the age of Nirvana. Yeah. Um, ah, yeah, Nirvana, Rage Against nice. the Machine, that sort of stuff. Um, which is now apparently, to my dismay, on the classic rock station here. This happens. Oh, come on. You know what? When I saw Poison on classic rock, I was like, what happened to me, man? Gosh, got it's, old. It's tough. Yeah. yeah, it's a tough realization when when the students start calling you doctor and they really mean it. I'm like, but you know, I used to look at that as it was a wasted youth, um, mm-hmm. but in retrospect, it was a, a virtue. And I feel bad for kids these days who are tethered to these. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, yeah, I, I think it, it feeds into how can you think about like how we should approve drugs if the only lens through which you've ever known that is this hydroxychloroquine battle with Trump and and and, and, and people who hate Trump. Um, I had a chance to think through how I approved drugs long before that, independent of this craziness. Um, and it was, it, it, in retrospect, is a great thing. And so the thought that perhaps this gift that we had, which we thought was a curse, yeah. it actually generates a class of people that can then think a little more critically, a little more independently, a little more authentically. I think it's true. I think this idea that we were, um, I, I often used to think, uh, maybe 10 years ago, I would berate myself for the amount of time I wasted, not in medical school, before medical school, just the amount of spinning of my wheels, goofing off and doing stupid stuff and just being bored. And the truth is that was a gift. Now I apply it, being able to do a lot of things that I wouldn't have been able to do. My own children, we have a screen-free Sunday where all devices are taken away and they were resistant at first. Now they look forward to it because mm-hmm. it means that they are, they're reading books, they're running around outside, they're asking me to play games with them. It's very, very, very awesome. Uh, and I highly recommend it. But now, okay, we got to talk about the vaccine, vaccine, because people are going to want to know. So. Just Today News on um, AstraZeneca's Oxford partnership vaccine. with Oxford mm-hmm. and uh, the data coming out. I look at some of this and I'm like, oh, I gotta ask Vinaya about this because there's some interesting stuff. The yeah. way they split up the populations. I haven't seen this yet. Okay, oh, it's really, it. yeah, let, me, okay. let me tell you what I know and you can respond. Yeah, you so, and know. this is all based on press release stuff and uh, a, an article I read in looking at it. So, okay. They had, uh, so that this, this, this vaccine is different, right? So they're using a monkey adenovirus yeah. as a vector to deliver the genetic material to cause the human host cell to then make spike protein, which is the target that we want an immune response to theoretically. So the reason, and this is for the, not for you, I'm not, no, 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 go I'm on, not go condescending on. to you here. No, well, Vinay, let me teach you about immunos. Mean, like you're yeah, way you. smarter than me. No, no. Uh, this is for the audience. So. Uh, the idea that uh, this monkey adenovirus doesn't replicate in humans is uh, a good thing. Yes, okay. So it's a good vector. It's a different than what the mRNA vectors yes, are for Moderna. Lipid, yeah. Exactly, they're using a special lipid capsule and taking the, just the raw genetic material and getting it into human cells. This is using a virus as a way to inject the genetic material. So different approach. Turns out it requires considerably less refrigeration. Yes. It can stay stable for six months in a standard fridge. Yes. It is three to four dollars a dose because yes. AstraZeneca is not taking profit on it unlike Moderna and Pfizer, Smart which is 20, dose, $25 yeah. a dose. Um, and so randomized trial in the UK and Brazil. Now the Brazilian population that they studied was around 7,000 odd people. The total trial is like 11,000. And the data res- reported on that group, that subgroup was a 60% efficacy. We don't have a subgroup analysis. We don't know which uh, groups are, are, are going on. We don't, and, and they um, measured positivity differently than in Moderna mm. and uh, mm-hmm. uh, Pfizer. 
Pfizer and Moderna were symptomatic yes, patients correct, yeah. were then tested. Yeah. These guys were swabbing people once a week. So they were picking up asymptomatic cases and um, were so, basically screening with, I presume PCR, I, I haven't okay, seen that raw data. Yeah. So what they found was in that sub, in that Brazilian group, 60% efficacy with a dosing regimen that was a full dose and then a month later, the second dose. The UK subgroup of 2,700 odd people, <laughs> they use a different dosing regimen. So half strength dose for the first full strength dose for the second. And they found, and, and the same sort of other testing regimen. And what they found was a 90% efficacy. Wow. Okay. So a little counterintuitive, they used half strength vaccine. And again, we don't see subgroup analysis. It's a smaller group. Yeah. We don't know what the total number is. Did they give are. you the events, the number of events? I don't oh, think okay. I saw that. Okay, okay. So yeah. just given what you've just heard, yeah help me understand this because I have some well, thoughts. I guess, uh, well, I'm curious what you think, but I guess I'd say, um, ev you know, everything I've been hearing about these vaccines, I've liked what I've heard so far. So mm -hmm. of course we have uh, Moderna and Pfizer's um, mRNA vaccine. You make a terrific point about the temperature. Um, the temperature's gotta be real cold, apparently, really cold. Like minus 90 Fahrenheit yeah, for it's a, Pfizer's. It's a bit cold, yeah. We've all <laughs> walked around those uh, liquid nitrogen things. We used to dip stuff in it and smash it, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. It's, it's cold. Um, so. Um, this AstraZeneca vaccine, I think, is the vaccine that has potential to save the world. Um, it's the vaccine that has the most um, partnerships with different global nations. It's the vaccine that may help India. It's the vaccine that may help uh, Africa. It's it's the real deal. It's it's. Uh, I think it's going to be an incredible humanitarian effort if they pull it off. Um, and, and again, that's because of partnerships, cost, and stability. And exactly. Yes. At, at reasonable temperatures. These, these places are places where it's very difficult to get to your minus 90. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they, they don't have always have those resources. Although I hear Pfizer, they're making some sort of uh, a portable transfer unit where you can keep things really cold. But that said, duration, stability, temperature, these things matter in, in resource limited settings. And one, one thing I wanted to say, which I learned today, which I didn't know, was that the, the Pfizer thing is actually stable in a standard fridge for about three days. Yes, yes. The Moderna is stable in a standard fridge for I think close to a week. And this other one is stable in a standard fridge for like six, six months. Yes, um, I, 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 okay, yeah. I, yeah, so, so you yeah, transport, you yes. need to store it at these very cold temperatures, but you have this window where you can get it out to a place with a fridge and, and, and hope for the best. The thing is, what if it does expire? How are you gonna, you're giving people vaccination that then is not effective. That's, I think that's the risk. And that's the greatest risk with Pfizer Moderna. Um, if that at some point in the supply chain, the temperature is not as cold as you think, um, and you don't know that, and there's no way to, I mean, if there's, unless there's like some, uh, you know, tag on it that says this was always this cold, mm. um, you may not know it and you may be giving less effective than perfectly effective vaccine. Um, but the, the it, I guess, I mean, the most important thing about these vaccines, whatever the specific point estimates of efficacy are, is that it is the case that by immunizing against spike protein, you can prevent acquisition of, you can prevent symptomatic acquisition of the virus. And it sounds like acquisition of the virus at all. The fact that that occurs biologically, that's a great thing. Um, so these are all incredibly promising. The, the point estimate of efficacy is very good. I think the, fir the first two were 90 to 95% in the first two press releases. I think 60% is still better than what the FDA has mandated, which was a 50% cutoff as minimum efficacy. And um, again, that was a blend between the two populations. Yes, and yeah, yeah, right. And two doses. And two doses. And it'll be important to look at the actual number of events. Um, my guess is that we're going to be seeing these vaccines unroll in December. Uh, I think that they've scheduled the Drug Advisory Committee meeting in early December and that we'll get an EUA for at least Pfizer and Moderna 
maybe um, the AZ. The, the AZ Oxford vaccine is the most important vaccine globally. It'll be the vaccine that eventually brings the pandemic to its knees. But, um, it, you know, you talk about the ways in which science failed, which I think we can write a book on, which so, I maybe I'll write a book on. This is the way science they succeeded. succeeded. Yeah. I agree, I agree, agree. So let, let, let's talk about a little bit more. So the, the efficacy signal is so strong Regardless, even 60% is a very strong efficacy. Yes. It, 90, 95%, it's measles level almost, right? Measles 99 with yes, two, level, it, yes, it, it's yes. ridiculous. And the fact that they were able to isolate the spike protein, realize it's the target, generate real immune response, do the quick safety, uh, the phase two stuff and the dosing stuff, and then get it into phase three with tens of thousands of people in truly warp speed. Yes. That is a Stunning human accomplishment. Yes. And what bears out is, uh, you know, again, looking at long-term safety and all that, that's fine. There was one case of what sounded like transverse myelitis in the AZ Oxford group that they, the investigators felt was not due to vaccine, but of course, we don't know. We now, will learn more about safety, I think, it as it unrolls. Um, I think this is a point where even as somebody who's been quite critical of this administration, we gotta give them credit. Operation Warp yeah. Speed was a success. Um, it is a smart thing to do. Um, it was a, a good strategy to subsidize that risk uh, for the companies to make to mass produce this. And I think it will speed up uh, the vaccine to market. Although I'm very critical of the industry, the industry has come through. AZ, it, the amount, the, they wouldn't, they, they make more money from the good publicity of selling it at that price than they ever would have made. Smartest move that Pascal Soro ever did uh, is to sell that uh, at price and, and guarantee no profit on that. So I think, good. I mean, hard to complain about this situation. Let, 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 let me, let me, I'm just gonna make an observation. So this is what you just did, that little spiel, is what when I talk about alt middle, that's what that is. You're saying, I have these pre-existing concerns about this administration. I care about this and this and this. I've been very critical about industry. So there are my biases and there's what I, what I believe. This was done well. This is great. They should be commended. We should work. This is a good model for certain things. And also with AstraZeneca, this is a great model because yeah. you're using it. I mean, that is how we ought to be thinking about this. There's no political badge or tribalism. It's, hey, what works? Why does it work? Should we do it? And with the vaccination thing, I think for safety, this is interesting because you're gonna give it to healthy people. Um, I suspect that we'll see more safety signal when the trial data is done, but I think that uh, it's my prediction is it's gonna wash out to be pretty good. It and and it, it may be that we found mRNA as a technology in particular that is a real advance and that the pandemic forced us to look at this technology in a rushed, rushed, and I'd be very careful how I say that. Because again, now everything I say matters. You say expedited. Expedited. Let's just say necessity is the mother of invention. That's true, yeah. They've been looking at mRNA for at least a decade. Yeah. It, it's very hard to get vaccines approved. It take, it's much harder than the anti-vaccine people say, say. This is an emergency, but also we're doing trials that would take a long time to do, and we're doing them correctly in a shorter time yes. because of the regulatory hurdles, because the government said, here's money to alleviate your risk. Go ahead and take this risk. You don't have to make sure to go through all these hoops to make sure you're not wasting money on the trials. Very important. And now we're seeing the outcome of that. We may have a new technological platform to respond to pandemics in the future and to even modify our current vaccine supply in a way that's even better. So it's a great point. I guess 
Um, one thing jumped out at me about the vaccine trial was that um, even though the protective effect was large, the absolute number of cases is very, very low, uh, at least I've seen so far, you know, I think less than 100 cases. And that speaks to the fact that the people who are enrolling in those studies are probably pretty cautious people. They're and gunners. They're gun yeah, they're, they're gunners. gunners. They're, they're gunners. safety gunners. They're gunners. They're patient gunners, yeah. Um, they're healthy volunteer gunners. And yeah. so... Um, you know, the only thing that the thought that crossed my mind is that, you know, if they had debuted the vaccine trial in South Dakota, uh, you know, it would have had a lot, it would have resulted in real, yeah, a lot of effort. That's the place it would have been differently. That's a great, see, this is how you have to think about these things. So that, tri that trial, even though it's placebo, randomized controlled, both groups share something in common, which is they are gung-ho about- They're enrolling in the study. Enrolling yeah. in the yeah. study. And so there's a bit of a selection bias potentially there. And so, and, and you're right about numbers. So I think one of the concerns with the AstraZeneca one was, are we seeing absolute very low numbers, particularly in the UK group with 2,700. What's the rate of infection? We need yes. to see. We'll see what the actual numbers are, but I suspect they're gonna be low. And what does that mean? That means that the quoted point estimate of efficacy is likely to be different than the ultimate point estimate of efficacy. So I wouldn't be surprised that the Pfizer, instead of 95 or 90%, comes in at 82% or something like that when you have a lot big, a much bigger sample size, that's still pretty good. And that's gonna be, I mean, the, the whole thing here is that, you know, vaccination, uh, is really a population strategy. And once you mm -hmm. vaccinate enough people, you can put a lid on something. And potentially this is going to be the single most important vaccine, certainly in of, of, of our lives, because it will literally bring the globe up from its knees. Um, yeah. 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 Now, do you do you know a guy, um, uh, James McCormick at uh, University of British Columbia? I do know James McCormick. You know him? Yeah, I know yeah. James McCormick. I've been on some panels with him. Yeah, yeah, smart, guy, yeah smart, smart guy, smart guy. So he Very reached good. out to me. He'd done a podcast recently looking oh, at yes, the data on the Moderna and the Pfizer trials and uh, with a colleague, a family medicine colleague. And it was very well done. What he talked about was relative risk reduction and absolute risk reduction sure. in those vaccine trials. Sure. The relative risk reduction in 95%. Sure, but and absolute very low. Absolute very low, meaning it's like a, a 1% or less, or less than that. Less than that. Yeah, but yeah. that's also because the people in the study are uh, probably um, in their house a lot and not yeah. going out that much. Um, you know, if you had done that study in, in South Dakota, uh, it could have been, the absolute might've been massive. Right. I guess this is an interesting thing, I think that applies both to the Danish mask study and to the vaccine trials, which is um, when you think about power of a study and you're designing a study, you have to predict what might happen to the people. Like mm. what's the probability they're gonna get COVID? And when you do a study of like breast cancer and a drug that prevents breast cancer, you can be pretty confident that um, you know in a group of women what percent are gonna get breast cancer. Mm. But COVID is something that is much more volatile. Mm. It could be 2% like it was in the Danish study. It could be 22%, you know? They mm. could have gotten hit really hard. Um, and so it, I give them a lot of credit. All the people who are running these randomized trials, we have to give them a lot of credit because they're running it in a way where they're accounting for the fact that the actual, um, you know, prevalence of this disease is gonna be less in this population than you might expect. Yeah, and another thing that, that, that relates to this that James brought up in his podcast, yeah. which I thought was a good insight, th this is the first sort of major, and he's very skeptical of pharmaceutical, sure, I yeah, and, and number needed to treat this as mantra yes. and, you know, like statins or, you know, et cetera. So he, um, he said, this is the first time that you're doing one of these big studies where every single person who's running the trial who's regulating the trial, who's reviewing the trial, is potentially gonna get the therapeutic. Interesting, yeah. And point. so their motivation- They got skin in the game. They, they got, got skin, skin in the game, in the game yeah. as Hamilton said. When you yeah. got skin in the game, you stay in the game. <laughs> 
and you don't well you don't get to play unless you stay in the game i don't remember now uh but the, the point being that there is people talk about bias in industry this is an interesting human bias towards getting it right the other interesting thing is that any reviewers are going to be jumping on it right away, spending all their processor cycle. It's not like they're reviewing 20 papers and having it. So I think actually I'm very encouraged by this. And and people ask me what I get the vaccine myself. And I think, well, let's talk about that. But you were about to say something. Well, uh, I think you're right. I mean, I think you're right that they are, people are very invested and it's very likely that the people participating in this are going to get it. I think the other thing that we have to acknowledge is the fact that this virus has brought the globe to its knees may also make us psychologically more likely to mm. be happy to get a vaccine. Mm. Um, and actually some of the externalities of a vaccine are different because a vaccine will allow us to reopen schools. A vaccine will allow us to do a lot of things. Um, so I think it is actually, I don't know, I haven't sat down and thought through all the implications, but it is probably one of the most interesting medical decisions ever made because its repercussions will affect the entire global economy and everything that goes with it. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think your point is very well taken that we have to check the bias on the other side that we're yeah, hoping we're for this thing yeah. and we're praying for this thing to go. And you know, and then people get very upset when Fauci said, hey, even when the vaccine happens, you better keep distancing and wearing your mask. What do you think about that messaging? Well, I guess um, he he's already knows what it's like to get on the bat, you know, to err the other way to say you don't need something. You yeah, know right. Do, don't right? wear masks. Yeah, right. right. So he, it's he, not spread by asymptomatic people. Yeah, right? he's yeah. tasted that. So maybe he's being a little reticent, a little mm. uh, cautious. Um, I guess, uh, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that question. We shall see. I guess it's really sort of an unknown if we'll still have like small outbreaks as it's unveiled. Um, your question was interesting, which was, would you get it and when would you get it and that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, it seems like to me, um, you know, without getting too much into it, I guess I would say um, um, I would prioritize the distribution in people who are at the higher risk of consequences from the disease, older, frailer people, nursing home people, the people who work in nursing home, healthcare workers. Um, I would prioritize teachers because I think the more teachers get vaccinated, the more we can reopen schools and we have a huge, almost incalculable social good that comes from that. I think I would prioritize the distribution in ways to curtail the spread of the virus. So in hotspots and deploy. And so I think you'll need a really good team of epidemiologists brought in to this problem. You know, I've heard so much about vaccine hesitant people. How mm. will you deal with them? Mm. Um, Anti-vax people, will we mandate it? And I said, why don't we just see, um, you know, how it goes first. Cause yeah. I think there are gonna be a lot of people eager to get it. Yeah. Eager, eager, eager to get it. And I think it might be, you know, in, in retrospect, it might be one of the best things to combat the anti-vaccine movement to see so many people rushing, like, like to get iPhone seven, to get, uh, you know, to get a vaccine and happily getting it. Um, so I think it's, it might be, it might be a good thing. And um, maybe that won't be as big a problem in retrospect. And the ultimate thing is, I mean, people who really are recalcitrant and don't get it, um, you know, some of them may develop immunity by getting the virus itself, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think we're already speculating what like a, I don't know what the percentage is, but I mean, it may be up to the quarter of the population has been exposed already. So and, uh, Scott Gottlieb has stated that he thinks by spring, it'll be 30% of Americans. Um, which is apparently a controversial statement because he's he's not saying it, saying it like he wants that he wished that were the case. No, he's, he's just, just saying, saying it like a matter of fact, it's, right? Right, right, <laughs> and right. He gets all this pushback, right, like right, wishing bad things. Exactly. Like, oh, no, I mean it's on. it's probably what's going to happen. Just probably I mean, what's going to happen. And uh, and then you're already thirty percent there. Then you've got you know to get to the herd immunity threshold, whatever it is for COVID, we don't know, right? Have you seen any data that tells us what it is? 
Oh boy. Um, I guess I would say um, that it is a it is a um, it is not a fixed commodity um, in the sense that um, the, the the fraction of a population immune to a disease to slow the spread of the disease is contingent on the way in which people interact in that population and how much mixing there is. And you know, reproductive reproductive number really. Yes, yeah, so the reproductive yeah, number yeah. and 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 whether or not there are, yeah different pockets that are not mixing whether or not people are segregating more by age. Um, it's a thorny question. At the end of the day, even though we have great people who do great modeling work, it is an empirical question, which will be, what will the number be? Um, and will there be pockets of outbreaks that people have to deploy and then give a vaccination campaign around? Um, will coronavirus be, as I think Nick Christakis believes, with the human race forever, and then mm. there'll always be these outbreaks? I think these are open questions. But I think for many of us, we will breathe a sigh of relief the moment schools start to reopen, the economy starts to reopen, and people feel comfortable getting back to the workplace. Absolutely. You know, I, what I wanna do now yeah, is just... take a couple comments because uh, I think there's some good stuff here. Juanita Peterson is a supporter uh, of the show. They subscribe for the 499. They keep us nice. off the clickbait treadmill. They pay for all this nice gear. Um, they're lovely people. And you could be one of them too, Vinay, one I day. Should. Uh, Juanita Peterson says, discussion, benefit and risk for so many. I see taking the vaccine as a healthy person that I am um, a post-market analysis. So in other words, if you're a healthy person at low risk from the disease, is there only downside or altruism in taking this vaccine? And how do you like to think about that? Because this is a question people really validly ask. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is personal upside as well. I mean, because your personal risk of acquiring SARS-CoV-2 is going to diminish potentially by 90%. Um, and SARS-CoV-2 in younger people who are healthy, um, it can be not terrible, but it can also, I mean, we've all heard stories where people get really sick and I guess I would prefer not to get really sick. Um, so, you know, I'm 37, I think I'm in good health, but Lord knows. Uh, um, but um, I, at some point will take the vaccine. Uh, that's just, uh, and I'm a healthcare worker, so it's inevitable. I have a date with the vaccine. Which <laughs> vaccine will it be and when? Those are the uncertainties. And who should get there first? Yeah. Um, maybe if it were between me and my 55-year-old colleague, you know, I'm gonna give it to the 55-year-old yeah. colleague because yeah. I'd probably be able to squeak through if I were to get yeah. SARS-CoV-2. But at some point I will get it for sure. Yeah. Uh, only a matter of time. Yeah, and you know, I think, I think it comes to this question of how much <clears throat> immunity in the community are we gonna need, depending on, like you said, the, the fluctuating dynamics of herd immunity yeah. thresholds. So I think it's important, again, hit the teachers, the healthcare professionals, elders, people with chronic disease. First, let's make sure we start with that. And then we can get into um, everything else. And can I say one more thing? Yeah. I guess I would say, I probably initially, uh, well, maybe at all, like uh, maybe the idea of people say like, well, you make it mandatory for healthcare workers. I was like, mm, I'm not sure that will cut the way you wish it to cut. Mm. Um, it may have some unintended consequences. It may um, leave a bad taste in people's mouth. Mm. Let's just see how many people want to get it first. There's going to be a, there going to be a lot of people who want to get it and give it to them first. Then we'll go from there. I agree. I think this mandatory vaccine thing is always, I've struggled with it. You know, I, I feel like it really triggers people who wouldn't normally be triggered by vaccines. It triggers people. You know, liberty versus oppression, autonomy versus, you know, subversion, whatever it is, these different moral flavors. Man, you know, and, and the, the, the subtle libertarian in me gets very upset with mandatory anything, but then the care versus harm liberal in me really likes the idea of community immunity. But then, you know, and then the conservative in me is like, 
and it'll generate more economic output. You know, so so there's it's really multiple different ways to look. I at think it. Um, you know use it sparingly when you mandate things, but yeah. you know we all know if you want to work in any hospital in this country, you pretty much have. There's to. A, there's a lot of mandatory things I do. I mean, yeah. how many of these? We could we could have a whole discussion of all the stupid modules that they oh, email God. me and then angry emails and you're not you're out of compliance with this module and I'm like Jesus. The, my favorite are like the racial tolerance or sexual harassment modules and I'm like you know this is actually it's useful I think for definitely some people, but like me, I'm just laughing the whole time. I'm like, well, okay, so, you know, and then you have to sit in these small groups sometimes and, t- and role play. Oh, you've so, done more than me. Oh, at the VA, so my wife was telling me this story at the VA, you have to sit down with a bunch of crusty doctors and role play. Is this critical race theory? Is this, yeah, like uh, race theory and uh, uh, gender stuff. And man, it's, um, and it does come out that people are pretty biased. <laughs> Like you just go, yeah, yeah. I mean, we know that. We already know that. The question is, what do you do with that bias and how, to, how does it implement in the real world? Now, those are good questions to ask. Yeah, the, I mean, the only things that I've had to do thus far are like the annual privacy module. You know, it <sighs> turns out that if you have records and paper with patient information on, you know, you shouldn't just pass that out to people. So I, Wait, I just what? Have, yeah. Because I've been just like <laughs> making it rain. <laughs> well, the, make it rain. <laughs> like I go to the strip club and I'm like, HIPAA, HIPAA, HIPAA. I'm just like, it's whatever printout from the electronic medical record, I, I make it rain. Yeah. You, that's what this course is for you then. You know what? Yeah. I better, uh, I better <laughs> stop blowing it off. Refresh your course. Yeah. My favorite is like, they're all like just auto slides that advance. And you're just like, how do I run the clock out on this thing? Like I just click, if you could, you know what? Oh my gosh, talk about money. We could make so much money and then you being a good guy, you could donate it to all kinds of causes. I could spend it on hookers. <laughs> this is this is what this is what um, we need to do is develop a device that can read the screen and click the mouse at exactly the mm. right time to advance the slide to get through those training modules without ever having to do anything. I think these training modules are part of the reason why people experience burnout and yeah, are unhappy with I this think profession. You're right. And I, I doubt that they teach anything of value that you don't already know, which is common sense. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I really hate them. I really hate them. I think they make it miserable. And um, I, yeah. I, uh, I call it the wokeness industrial complex. <laughs> like at some point you start going, okay, we know the problem and we all agree that the problem is real. Well, most of us do. I think the people who deny that it's a problem need a little more experience in being discriminated against or whatever, but- oh, you're talking about the discrimination one, yeah. I'm just yeah. talking about the privacy and information pure, security. Yeah. Oh, okay, but you're, yeah. But oh, everything, have, all of it, yeah. I haven't done that one yet. Um, I think, um, I mean, it's an empirical question, which is, I mean, I would concede that I think there is discrimination and implicit bias, but I'm not, I, I would love to see evidence that doing this module- Makes it better. Makes it better. Makes it better, exactly. And that evidence would have to be Cluster randomized, I think. Actually, actually I think that <laughs> yeah, would be a good design would. because it would account for the cluster effect of multiple people getting the module. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, just like the masks, what people want there. I think we should just force people to watch all of Dave Chappelle's work <laughs> and they'll just, they'll wake up in a very cynical kind of like constructive <laughs> way, you know? He's always been a, um, I think a provocative and uh, an outside the mainstream thinker on issues of race. Yes. Uh, and in some ways, um, uh, quite astute in, yeah. in ways people have missed, yeah. Yeah, and he has the lived experience to back yeah. it up. Like, yeah. you know, I couldn't go out and, and say the things he says with any moral authority, even though I'm off white myself, it's not, it's not enough because, yeah. you know, he, he the stories he tells are so powerful. Um, man, we did a thing for over an hour. Yeah. 
And you've got a car to pick up. I because gotta get to pick up my car. Yeah, yeah, we both go to the same mechanic. <laughs> we both have these jalopy Japanese cars, right? Like that we've been keeping alive for way longer. It's funny, than... I once had a fellow in my um, clinic and he got a wedding gift. He got some like fancy Rolex watch. And I was like, I bet your watch is worth more than my car. And we, Kelly Blue Booked it and it was true. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's watch amazing. Worth more than my That's car. so yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, I've got a 2008, man. And, and it's got like, 150,000 miles on it. And the guy was like, what's well, gonna cost like $4,000 to fix this? And I'm like, well, I'll tell you what then, don't fix all those things on your list. Just <laughs> fix the one mission critical thing. Yeah, the part that makes it roll. That's right. Yeah. I know there's an oil leak. I can put oil in it every now and again. <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was looking at me like I was crazy. I'm like, yeah. when this thing stops working, I'm gonna be forced to buy some something else. And, and I'm trying to just delay it. Um, but anyways, dude, Vinay, it's good talking. It's really good talking. Good we, talking. we did a tour de force. Um, let me tell the Z-Pack a couple things. Vinay hosts a podcast called Plenary Session, which is outstanding. You can find him all over the web on Twitter, on Med MedPage. He writes these incredible, incredibly astute and insightful things. And I'm not just saying that because he's here. I actually believe that I read them myself for knowledge. Um, I'll put in links on YouTube. If you're watching on Facebook Live, thanks for all your enthusiasm and comments. A lot of them are crazy conspiracy theories, and then a lot of them are really good. We'll try to go through at some point and pay attention to them. Um, thank you for everyone who supports the show. Please share this uh, because it's very, very important to have these nuanced discussions. And let me see how I turn this off. And I, uh, I think, say bye to everyone. Thanks for having me. All right, we did it. Well, hold on, wait, no, I gotta click. <laughs> no, where's the button? It's, yo, did you think that was dope? Hey, become a subscriber. Click the subscribe button, then right to the right of his little bell. Hit that bell, booyah! You get notifications, never miss any of our stuff. I love you guys, we out.